Lord God, what a sweet truth that is, that we can stand on you, Lord, and put our trust in you and trust you as the, the cornerstone. Lord, what a blessing it is. Lord, as we open up your word this morning to hear from you, help our eyes to see and our hearts to be changed so that we can greater know who you are and grow in our love for you this morning, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hello, thank you for being here today. Um, I'll be spending the next 10 minutes or so uh, going through Ephesians. About 18 months ago, Omri actually led us in the Lord's Supper, and he used Ephesians 1, verses 5 through 14. In that message, he reminded us that this passage teaches us that God saved sinners because God loves to be praised. That is such a great summary of these, those nine verses. And so I just want to repeat it. God saved sinners because God loves to be praised. So Christians here at Grace Bible Church, God saved you because he loves to be saved. And I want to pick up where that passage leaves off and start in verse 15. So turn with me to Ephesians 1 verse 15 and let's read together. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you in your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the full knowledge of him, so that you, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Paul gave the truth that God saves sinners because he loves to be praised. And then knowing that they were partakers in this promise, he prayed for the church at Ephesus. Paul had a three-pronged prayer for that church. And I have the same prayer for this church today. Paul prayed specifically that they would grow in wisdom and knowledge. Paul wanted the eyes of their hearts to know, and he wanted them to know three things. The first one, what is the hope of his calling? A life transformed by the gospel is by nature a life of hope. The calling has both happened and is happening. In common speech, we generally hope for uncertain things. In the Bible, the word is used of that which is certain because it is grounded on what God has done for us in the work of Christ. That is why the Bible speaks of a living hope in 1 Peter, a blessed hope in Titus, and a hope which is sure in Hebrews. When the weight of this world feels too much to bear, we have the hope of his calling. When we seem to get distracted by the cares of this world, we have the hope of his calling. Christian, the hope of his calling is the hope that we have that this earth is not our home. We are called to be saints of the Most High. Paul prayed for Ephesus, and I pray for you all this morning, that your heart will know the hope of his calling. The second prong is the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Secondly, Paul wants his readers to appreciate 
that they inherit all the wealth of God himself. Here the issue is the scope of the blessings God has for us. The truth is we know and understand very little of these blessings. We know some of the blessings God has for us here, blessings like prayer, being in his word, the joys of Christian fellowship, true Christian fellowship, the blessings of the church. And these riches are sweet, but we, how much sweeter will the heavenly blessings be? What do we know of heavenly joys? Paul wrote, now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known in 1 Corinthians. We know little and we know imperfectly. But Paul prays for that church and I pray for this church today that we will grow in our knowledge of the glory of the riches of his inheritance. The third item is the surpassing greatness of his power towards Christians. The final item Paul wants his readers to recognize is the enormous power of God. It is presented here as incomparably great. Only Paul, among New Testament writers, employs the term hyperbolon. Literally, it suggests that the conception is attached to or is thrown over into another sphere altogether. God's power is so great that it is thrown into another realm of measurement altogether. We cannot measure or begin to truly comprehend God's power. And this is beyond a power. This isn't a power that is sitting out in the ethos. This is a power that God directs at Christians. Paul goes on to describe this power in the preceding verses. And Christian, do you understand that this power is directed at you? I pray with Paul today that we would fully understand this power. So as you prepare your hearts for communion, pray that God gives you an overwhelming understanding of the hope of his calling, the riches of your inheritance in him, and the surpassing greatness of his power. If you do not know these truths or do not put your faith and trust in Christ as your savior, I would like to ask you to pass the elements by. This is a time for people who have put their faith in Christ so that we can remember what Christ has done for us. But I would also like to challenge you to think about the implications of this coming King on your life. Verse 22 in talking about Christ's power says, and he put all things in subjection under Christ's feet. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are under the power and authority of Christ. So turn to him so that you can know the hope that Christians know. If you have any questions, feel free to come meet me after church. There'll be some people praying over here by the side. We'd love to talk to you about the hope that we have in Christ. Men, please come serve us, take communion on your own, and I'll come back and pray for us.